0: Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church online podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. we talked about uh, just a few moments ago, the great responsibility that parents have to train their children in the instruction of the Lord. But you know, that uh, responsibility and that privilege extends beyond the parents to the grandparents, to the faith family, the church family. So we come together as a faith family and a big part of our vision is investing in the next generation, uh, training kids. And I just wanna thank you again, all of you who serve in kids ministry, uh, student ministry, it, it makes a difference and uh, we're all in this, together as we seek to raise up new committed followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, today's Baby Dedication Sunday, so we're gonna continue along that theme this morning, take a little break from our Roman series. Uh, We'll get back to that uh, a little bit later. Um, But I wanna talk to you this morning just about the kind of influence that you can have and I can have in the lives of kids, because they need it, they need direction. That video pointed it out so clearly. Uh, And so I'm titling this morning's message, Three Questions That Every Child Asks. Okay, three questions. They ask a lot of questions. And the funny thing is they don't really verbally typically ask these questions. Mine um, never did, um, but in their little undeveloped minds in ways they don't even comprehend, they're looking for answers to these three questions. And I wanna start off the message by addressing any of you in the crowd who are 30 years old or older all right? I'm looking around. There's a few of you over 30. Um, Okay, 30 years old or older. And here's my question to you. How many of you remember uh, growing up uh, some uh, elder in your life, a, a parent, a grandparent, you know, some caregiver in your life ever giving you what I call the back when I was a kid talk? You know what I'm saying? So you're like a kid and you're You're whining and you're complaining about something, and then one of your elders says, I don't know what you're crying about. You know, back when I was a kid, right, Um, or, man, you think you've got it tough. Well, you know, back when I was a kid, and then they just kind of fill in the blank with some hardship or struggle that they had, and the point is, you know, kids today, you know, they got it a lot easier. They don't realize how good they have it. Uh, <laughs> um, listen, my dad grew up in an orphanage during the great depression so I'm telling you he had some legit back when I was a kid hardship stories and I heard a lot of them uh, growing up now let me ask you though 30 years and old older now if you're a parent okay and a grandparent how many of you have given that Back when I was a kid, talk right. I think every generation, to some degree, you know, falls back on that. And listen, the reason that we do that is because um, there are some things and some uh, principles and some truths that our kids and our grandkids can learn from the time when we grew up as kids. Because you know, in many ways. Uh, Maybe materially, uh, maybe when it comes to the creature comforts of life. In many ways, maybe your kids or grandkids have it easier than you did when you were growing up. But while they may have had it easier in some of those material realms, listen, I want to submit to you this morning that in many ways because of such a breakdown in our culture and our society and so many of the crazy haywire things that go on in our world today, in many ways, it may be tougher to be a kid today than it was just a generation or two ago. I mean, we're living in 2022 and on the things that matter most, okay, morality, uh, values, positive role models, and just the developmental space that children need to grow up. I think it it could be tougher today than it was, I know it was then when I was a kid, and even a generation ago. Uh, You think about the influence of social media, um, which I never had to deal with, Our, our culture's rapid, Um, distance from Judeo-Christian values, which again, when I was a kid, it was more in place than it is today. The breakdown of the family. I mean, all these things contribute to, to putting kids in a very unsettled, unstable environment. So many times they just don't have time to develop and to grow up in ways that we did. And that's really the basis of this morning's message because these are truths that I wanna share with you this morning, these are truths that at some level, all of us probably have opportunities to speak them in to the next generation, to speak them into the lives of children that we have influence over. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, even a future parent, you're gonna be dialed into this message, I mean, come on, three questions that every child asks, you're gonna be paying attention. But let me also add this. Even if you're not a parent, and you don't ever plan to be a parent, or maybe your children are grown, even if that describes you, I want you to be dialed in because you were a kid once, and how these questions were answered by your parents or your caregivers, your guardians, played a significant role in the person you are today, either for better or for worse, good and bad, and we both have, we both have, each, right, good and bad, but how these questions were answered in your life during your developmental years really played a significant role in the person you are today. Um, so I want you to think about them and consider them as well. And what's interesting, I mentioned earlier, these are questions that are rarely, if ever, actually asked by children. Okay, Again, my, my kids never ask these three things, but in ways they don't even comprehend they're wondering about these things. And so we want to talk about them uh, for a few moments this morning. Uh, Now, my wife and I, Kamala, we lead a parenting life group about every spring. We've been doing that for years and we drill down deeper into a lot of these subjects. So if you have young children at home, I encourage you to sign up for that life group maybe in the spring. We'd love to have you part of that. Uh, But here's how we start off every group. I start off every group, every year we do the parenting life group. I start off by acknowledging, look, I am by no means a perfect parent. I used to be before I had kids. You know how that works, don't you? I mean, you're in the grocery store, my kids will never do that. Okay, if you don't have kids, you don't know. Okay, so, so I had all the answers back before they actually showed up. And then I realized, hey, this is, way, <laughs> this is way more difficult and complicated than I had first imagined. And so we come to God's word because parenting is a difficult task, it really is. We come to God's word for wisdom and for guidance, and even though the Bible is not a step-by-step, you know, how to raise your kids. Whatever the Bible says about parenting or any other subject is true, and it's right, and it's from God, and so we open the Bible this morning just for some practical counsel on answering these three critical questions that every child will ask. Okay, so let's take a look at them, and you know, in in some ways I could say, these are three questions that they ask, and these are three questions that need answered by you and me, the people in their lives. They're going to try to get these answers somewhere, and we want to be the ones who provide the right answers to these three questions. Okay, so here's the first question every child asks, it's this, do you love me? Do you love me? If asked, I think every reasonably sane parent would say, well, of course, of course I love my kids. So I guess perhaps the better question would be, does your son or your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter know that they are loved unconditionally and that it is not based on their merit or their performance? Do they know that? That you love them, no strings attached. When they succeed and when they fail, when they're good, when they're bad. Uh, it's interesting, you know, because of our sin nature, which we inherited from Adam, and we've been talking about that in Romans, actually, no, none of us are ever born into this world knowing that God unconditionally loves us. None of us are. And, and so what happens? You know, when, when, we, when we're born into this world, we start to figure out, hey, I was created, somebody put me here, and we start to think about God, and we think, okay, I wonder if He loves me, and we're not convinced that He does. And so what do people do? They start trying to act good and be good and go to church and, you know, jump through all these religious hoops in some way to earn God's love, you know, it's because they think, we, we think that it's based on our performance. We're not convinced of it. But then we're exposed to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and you know Romans you know, 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the gospel kinda turns the light on for us, and we realize, oh okay, now I see, God's love for me is unconditional, it's not based on my performance, it's not based on my merit, it's based on what Jesus did for me. Yeah, that's the good news, that's the gospel. But you know, before we come to know Christ, we, we think that we, can, we gotta earn God's love through performance. And in a very similar way, when children are born into this world, they're not convinced that their parents or anybody else loves them unconditionally. They need to be shown that. And if we don't show them that, listen, if we don't show them that they are loved unconditionally, they will spend the rest of their lives trying to earn it Trying to uh, trying to gain our approval. And that's just gonna lead to a lot of other insecurities and dysfunctions in their life. They need to be assured that they are loved. Now we close every service that way, don't we? It's so important for every person to know they are loved by God, and in this case, in this context, by their parents and their family. And there are a lot of things we could say or you could read about this question, you know, that your kids have, you know, do you love me? Uh, But in one 30-minute sermon, let me just say this. Whatever your child or your grandchild's love language, whatever their personality type, the one thing that you can give them that will express that you love them unconditionally more than anything else, the one thing that you can give them is your attention. They long for it. They hunger for it. They're crying out for it. And if they don't get it, somehow, some way, somewhere, it will show up in their life in very negative and destructive ways. How do you communicate that you love them? Give them your attention. They need that. And don't, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean we should spoil them. It doesn't mean that your family should be child-centered. It doesn't mean that uh, uh, you need to convince your kid that the world revolves around them. No, those are all abuses of that principle. It it just means uh, that your child is just not gonna know they are loved unless you make it a priority to give them your attention, to give them some focus in your life. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 127, uh, children are a blessing from the Lord. They're a blessing from the Lord. They're, they're not a curse, okay? They're not a, a, a hassle, okay? They're, they're not, you know, uh, something in addition to your, you know, vocation or career. No, these are a gift, these are a blessing from the Lord and like with every blessing, it needs to be stewarded in the right way. And it starts by giving them our attention. If you're following along in a Bible, there is a fascinating but sad account in the scriptures. It's found in the Old Testament book of Second Samuel, and it's about King David and his family. Um, now, David, we've talked about this before. Um, David had a lot of good qualities. Um, we did a series on Psalms, I think, earlier this year, and we, we learned about a lot of the good qualities that King David had. Being a father, being a parent, was not one of the roles he excelled in. I mean he really struggled. His family was a mess. And the reason it was a mess, by and large, was because of his poor parenting. An example of that's found in Second Samuel. Some of you know David had a son named Absalom, and Absalom, you know, when he became an adult, he and David had a falling out and they decided not to talk to each other for three years okay so three and that's a painful thing you know you have a loved one in your life and the communication lines have broken down and I don't doubt that in a crowd this size some of you had those experiences with your own children or maybe grandchildren things are said in the heat of an argument Um, there's division there's disagreement and you know you just kind of the communication just kind of dries up you don't you don't you don't relate to one another at a healthy level Um, And that's that's what was happening with David and Absalom. Now, I have yet to discover one relationship that was ever reconciled by using the silent treatment. Okay, it doesn't happen. And Absalom knew that. And so what does Absalom, David's son, do? He reaches out to David to try to reinitiate contact so they can have a conversation, they can have a dialogue, but for whatever reasons, David will not give him the time of day, his own dad. Just keeps putting him off, putting him off, putting him off, will not give him his attention. And so what Absalom does is that he goes to David's right-hand man, kind of his assistant. He was the general in David's army, a guy named Joab. And he contacts Joab and says, hey, could you help me get an appointment with my dad? (laughs) All right, that's how distant and removed and neglectful David was for Absalom. And we don't know if David told Joab to not do it or not, but for whatever reason, Joab, he won't even meet with Absalom. And so there's this division, this broken line of communication between David and his son Absalom. And I wanna read to you what happened. It's again found in 2 Samuel chapter 14. I can get it up on the screen. Uh, Verse 29 says, Absalom sent for Joab. Okay, David's assistant. Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king, but Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Then Absalom said to his servants, look, Joab's field is next to mine and he has barley there, go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set, servant set the field on fire. Then Joab did go to Absalom's house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? You know, you know why? You know why Absalom set the field on fire? He was crying out for attention, right? He got it for sure. He, he definitely got it this time. Joseph. what are you doing? Well, why have you set my field on fire? Well, I've been trying to contact you. I've been trying to reach out to my dad. I've been trying to restore a conversation and communication here, but everybody's neglecting me. And so Absalom acts out by setting Joab's field on fire. Now here's the moral of the story. Here's the lesson from David's poor parenting example there and it's this, our children and our grandchildren long for us to willingly give them our attention. But if we don't, they'll set some fields on fire. You know what I'm saying? They'll do some things to make sure they get our attention. They'll flunk out of school even though they're intelligent enough to make it and pass. Uh, they'll get arrested, even though they know better. They will experiment with drugs or alcohol or, or start trying to get the attention of others through sexual promiscuity or hanging out with the wrong crowd or, or whatever it takes. And it doesn't justify or excuse their bad behavior, but listen, they will set some things on fire and it'll bring consequences upon them and grief and hardship to your family. Absalom and David, their relationship was destroyed and Absalom just starts acting out and, and yeah, look at me, you know, I, you know how, how different things might have been if David would have said, or David would have been the, the bigger man, he's the father, okay? If he would have initiated contact and said, Absalom, we gotta talk, we gotta talk. David never did that. He never gave Absalom his attention. Now, here's the good news. And when it comes to parenting, you know, every child asks, you know, do you love me? But here, here's the good news you don't have to be a perfect parent, but you do have to be a present parent. You know what I'm saying? Nobody gets everything right when it comes to parenting. Man, I think there's just no way. It's difficult, it's complicated. Situations require so much wisdom and you're not gonna get it right every time. The good news is you don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be present. And that can be a very difficult thing for us sometimes. I think especially, I mean not only, but especially I think many times with us guys because of our vocation and our desire to excel. And, and quite often, um, we are, you know, the years when our children need us the most, those developmental years, are, are the, usually the same years when we're trying to get some traction in our vocation and to get ahead and to move forward. And it's very difficult to balance the two and to give our kids the attention they desperately need from us. And I, hey, listen, it doesn't matter what your vocation, I've seen it happen with pastors so committed to their work and their church and God's work and their kids, you know, are neglected. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. It's just, it's just a challenge and a difficult thing and the priority has to be that, okay, maybe I won't be perfect, but I will be present to the best of my ability. There's just no substitute for that. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about this well-known Bible verse from 1 Peter in reference to parenting, but I think it's applicable. Uh, We should find some encouragement in this. Peter writes this, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, nobody gets everything right as a parent, but if your kids are absolutely convinced that you love them, that covers a multitude of occasions when you blow it and mess up and foul up if they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them unconditionally, it covers a multitude of other failures and sins. Well, here's another question every child asks. What are the boundaries? What are the boundaries? You know, each of us are born into this fallen world as fallen creatures with a sin nature, so in order for us to function as individuals and a society, God gives us some boundaries. And children want to know, and they need to know, what is right and what is wrong, what are the parameters, what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. And the way parents teach them that is through loving and consistent discipline. That's why, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's only one verse in the entire Bible, one command in the entire Bible specifically directed to children. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what it says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of verses to a lot of other people, husbands, wives, leaders, you know. Children, you get one. Obey your parents. You just, you just get that one right, and things will go much better for you. And that means that one of the primary responsibilities that every parent has is to teach their children to do what the Lord says they should do and be obedient to their parents. You see, if they don't learn to obey you, it's less likely they're gonna learn to obey God. If they don't learn to submit to your authority when they're young, then it's less likely they're gonna submit to God's authority when they grow. In fact, I don't know who said this, I, I've quoted it many times over the years, uh, but they said "You know, if we, if we don't discipline our children with love when they're young, the world will discipline our children without love when they're older. And there's a lot of truth to that. And so it falls to you, mom and dad, sometimes grandparents to, to, to lovingly but consistently help them see the boundaries and to enforce the boundaries with consequences. And rewards and I don't mean to pick on David but he's such an easy target when it comes to parenting Uh, he was so neglectful and so lousy uh, it's just hard not to you know use him as an example he had another son Um, in addition to Absalom his other son was named Adonijah and just like Absalom Adonijah turned out to be a disaster it's a real interesting verse in um, First Kings chapter 1 verse 6. So here's what it says, Adonijah's father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time even by asking why are you doing that? Isn't that something? I mean David was so removed from his child's life he never disciplined him, never even had the sense to say "Man, what are you doing? What are you doing? Right? Never provided instruction, never provided training or discipline or boundaries. And I just so desperately needed those things because every child asks, what are the boundaries? I don't know. I need to know. Somebody teach me. Somebody show me. With David, there were no questions like, you know, what are you doing? You know, What are you looking at on your cell phone right now? What movie are you going to? What crowd, what friends are you running with? Uh, I mean, these are just questions parents have to be engaged and involved in asking their children, providing some boundaries and some discipline for them, for they don't know. You know, Adonijah was an undisciplined, rebellious child who sadly become, became an undisciplined, rebellious adult. And actually, Adonijah was executed for being rebellious to the king, his brother Solomon, King Solomon. And the kid never had any boundaries. David never disciplined him, he never showed him, he never trained him, and it cost him his life. We talk about this here at Liberty in a lot of uh, different contexts. Let me, let me apply it to parenting, but here at Liberty, we often talk about taking the long view of things. We're just so accustomed to the immediate here and now, the short view, and, and, and you know, God wants us to live in the moment, but to never be prisoners of the moment as if there's nothing else. So we, we, you know, we, we have to learn to look down the road and take the long view, the eternal view of things. And when it comes to parenting, we can apply that truth to the subject of discipline. Because you know, when we're disciplining our kids, it's painful, it's difficult, and, and you know, a lot of times we, we, you know, we want our kids to love us and like us and wanna be with us, and so to be the disciplinarian can be a, a difficult you know, calling. And they always usually kind of egg it on a little bit, don't they, this is the end of the world, you know? If I can't, if I can't do the things all the other kids get to do, oh, you've just ruined my life. Well, they don't know, you know, they don't know. But it is hard, it's hard to, you know, take that sometimes from your kids. And so let me just encourage you parents who are in the disciplining stage right now, take the long view, take the long view. Um, you're not the worst person in the world, even though they might think you are in the moment. And when it comes to discipline, the Bible talks about that. Um, This is really in the context of God's discipline of his children, but look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, okay, that's the long view. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. And isn't that what you want for your children and your grandchildren? That's what I want for my kids. To, to live a, a, a righteous life, a harvest of righteousness and peace. Now, I don't care what their vocation is. I don't care how much money they make. It, it, none of that stuff. All that stuff's so secondary. But man, if they can have a, a life filled with righteousness and peace, well, that's, that's the priority. And how do you get there? Well, not by accident, through discipline. It's such an important truth for us to understand. Well, there's uh, one more question that I have two minutes for, okay? Here's the question. Do I have what it takes? Kids ask that. Again, not verbally. They don't express it in their words, but they're thinking, do I have what it takes? And let me explain what I mean by that. One of my favorite analogies in the Bible comes from Psalm 127, and it says that children are like arrows. Have you ever read that? That children are like arrows. So what do you do with an arrow? Well, two things you do with an arrow. You you aim it, you point it in the right direction, and then you release it. And as a parent, most of the times we get about, you know, 18 years or so to aim our arrows in the right direction, and then we release them. And during those years of aiming them, our children need to be learning that once they are released, they have what it takes to be independent, they have what it takes to set their mind to something and accomplish it. They have what it takes to follow through on their commitments and their obligations. Where are they gonna learn, they don't know that. They don't know if they have what it takes coming out of the womb. They have to be taught and trained and encouraged along those lines. You've got what it takes. And here are just two practical ways we can help our children gain the inner security and the self-confidence they need to have what it takes, okay? First of all, um, we talk about this in our parenting class a lot, but as a parent, don't make it a habit of doing for your children what they can do for themselves. Does that make sense? Just don't, don't, sometimes you have to, you're in a hurry, whatever, but don't make it a habit of doing for them what they can do for themselves. Now, obviously, when a baby is born, they can't do anything for themselves. But little by little, as they grow, their capacity to do simple tasks and then more complex ones increases and it actually increases pretty rapidly. And by the way, this is true for not just children, this is true for adults. If you want to make someone dysfunctional, then all you have to do is just function for them in ways that they should be functioning for themselves. Does that make sense? That's the definition of dysfunctional. You functioning for them in ways they should be functioning for themselves. And we just gotta keep that in mind as parents and grandparents, you know, you're a little five-year-old, oh, mommy, I can't put my coat on by myself. Okay, can't or don't want to. You have to discern that as a parent, but early, early on to start letting them do for the, th- do the things that they can do, and don't you do it for them. Hey. Parents, you got adolescents or teenagers, I got a great Christmas gift for you, okay? Season's coming up, get your adolescent or your teenager an alarm clock, okay? Or show them if they have one on their, cell. every cell phone's got one, okay? And teach them how to use it and just tell them, hey look, I am never ever going to wake you up again. For school, for anything else, I'm never going to wake you up again. This is on you. Now, I know you hear that. Some of your parents are like, my kids will never wake up again. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, wake them up for church, okay? You can wake them up for church. But everything else, it's on you. Again, just a simple little practical way that, I mean, they're going to spend the rest of their life having to get up and do stuff and produce things and go to work or whatever. And again, just... Not doing for them what they can do for themselves—it's a simple thing, but it makes a difference. And parents mean well, um, you know. But if you do everything for them, what you're doing is really undermining their confidence, and they'll never have a chance to figure out for themselves. I can do—I've got what it takes. I can do this. I can be independent, and they need that so desperately. Here's a second way you can do—you can kind of encourage that attitude—is reaffirm to them verbally that they do have what it takes. You know, start early and often by telling them, you know, I believe in you, you can do this. You know, don't underestimate how much you just expecting the best from them can help them grow into it. Something happens, those words are powerful. I believe in you, you can do this, you've got what it takes. I can't tell you how many times I said or texted those exact words to our daughters Um, whenever they're facing like like a situation, you know, a difficult challenge, and just say, hey, you've got what it takes. You've got what it takes. And I can say this now because they're adults, but there have been a number of situations over the years in which I said, you've got what it takes, and I wasn't really sure they did, okay? (laughs) what it took (laughs) but i said it anyway and and it turned out okay so i i mean there's just something about it it's not like they'll it's not like your kids are always going to succeed or win or whatever but just that encouragement goes a long way to giving them confidence i i remember i remember reading this years ago We'll, we'll close here in just a moment but i remember reading this years ago i think i read this before i was even a parent and I'll pass it, on with you, pass it on to you. But uh, it was written by Christian author and psychologist, John Ortberg, and he was talking about an experience he had with his little girls. And uh, mom was away, his wife was away, and so he decided we're gonna have a movie night, and so he and his little girls watched the movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And he'd seen it before, but he never really watched it through the eyes of a parent. And about halfway through the movie, he reasoned, this movie is providing a terrible example for my little girls to follow. Here's a young woman hiding from her stepmother because she's allowed her fears to consume her. She takes a terrible job working for seven cranky guys because she doesn't think she's capable of doing anything more meaningful with her life. And she's just waiting around for someone to come and rescue her singing, someday my prince will come. And so after the movie, here's what he wrote. After the movie finished, I wanted to tell my little daughters, girls, do not be like Snow White. If you ever find yourselves in her situation, don't hide from your stepmother. Confront her face to face and tell her to come to grips with the aging process. (laughs) Tell her that you won't put up with her neurotic insecurities about her fading attractiveness and that she needs to grow up and find a good therapist. As for the seven short cranky guys, tell them to get a life. And if they can't handle the basic challenges of hygiene and housekeeping, they need to find some other codependent person to enable their poor domestic choices and habits. And don't spend your life waiting around for a prince to come and rescue you. Find meaningful work, serve God and serve others. And when it's time to find a prince, let daddy choose one for you. Uh. Hey, there you go. That's the best thing I've read all day. Um, Well, again, on this subject of having what it takes, here's a great Bible verse to keep before your children and keep before your grandchildren. It's so powerful. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it simply says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago and that really is an amazing thought isn't it i mean you consider all of god's wonderful and beautiful and miraculous things all the things that god has created from starry skies to moonlit nights to mountains to the ocean to uh, you know sunsets and sun all these beautiful things that god has powerfully created and he says my masterpiece though is people You're God's masterpiece. And he has good things planned for people when they open up their lives to him and surrender to his son Jesus. You're his masterpiece. He's got some good things planned for you. And a lot of kids, I know most kids, to some degree, they grow up wishing they were different they wish they were taller, or stronger, or prettier, or skinnier or smarter or, or whatever, and they desperately need parents, grandparents, kids ministry leaders, student ministry leaders to speak God's truth into their life. And to say, "You are God's masterpiece. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good things He has planned for you." You've got what it takes to do everything that God has planned for you. Not in your power, but in His. And that's the message each and every one of us need to pass on to the next generation. It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. I mean, I think of these buildings here on this campus, kids' ministry, church, kids' church, preschool, nursery. Hey listen, those are the leaders of this. They're gonna be sitting where you're sitting a generation from now. And we've got this moment in time, this opportunity to invest in them in such a way to, to use our influence, to, to nudge them in the direction of following Jesus. And we just can't do it without answering these three questions for them.